I want you to presume that you're taking step one as if he has a score, even though it's a pass fail. Because then, you know, it's like when I was in college, if, if I put in A work, I might get a B plus or I might get a B, but at least I set myself up for success. But you, if you're listening to me right now, I want you to think as if USMLE has a score because that would drive you to study harder, learn all the information and your chances of success is even much higher. Now, here's the problem. If you don't do that, and I know some of you will not do it, right? You're going to be like, well, I understand, but why do I need to work so hard? Well, step two is the new step one, right? Dr. Nalun alluded, program directors are busy, right? You're, you and I both attendants. We have families. We have work. You know, when you work in academia, you have research, medical students, priorities to work with, clinicals, right? Seeing patients, right? There's a lot, you know, you might not understand the pressures that academic attendants have to go through. You have to train residents, you have to train fellows, you have to train medical students, you have to do didactics and teach. If you are an international medical student or graduate looking to take your career to the next level, by ditching the feeling of being overwhelmed and intimidated by the residency application process, you need the support and guidance that I have to offer you. And I want to tell you exactly how I can do that. I'm offering my comprehensive program that includes online coursework, as well as cohort group coaching with community support to help you achieve your goals and succeed when you apply for residency this year. So my program is led by myself, Nina Loom. However, I do have other experienced medical professionals who've walked in your shoes and they understand the specific challenges that we as IMGs face. With my guidance and support and coaching, you'll navigate this complex process of preparing an application that attracts residency interviews. You'll also learn to build your network and gain the confidence and skills that you need to succeed. Free information like I provided on the podcast is great. However, the rubber beats the road when it comes to implementation. Let me hold your hand and walk you through a process that is guaranteed to bring you results. I cannot wait to see you on the other side. So join now at imgroadmap.com. The IMG Roadmap is the only podcast dedicated to coaching international medical graduates and success blueprints for this unique pathway. I am Dr. Nina Loom, your host, a previous IMG turned hospital medicine physician, healthcare administrator, speaker, and coach. I empower, encourage, and equip you with actionable steps that you can take towards the residency position of your dreams. What's up, you guys? Welcome to another episode of the IMG Roadmap Podcast. I'm so excited to be here today. It's a sunny, beautiful day where I'm recording from, and I have a USMLE guru with me. I can't even say the word right. Guru with me. Um, I know some of you maybe make you know uh, jokes on the internet. I've seen those jokes. You're like, oh, Dr. Lynn's an IMG guru, but I have a USMLE guru today, and um, this is Dr. Deshana. And we will be speaking about something that's very important for everyone listening. So whether you are, you know, working towards step one of the USMLE or step two or step three, or if you have boards in general planned out in your life, this topic is going to be very, very vital for your progress. You know, we'll be going into the changes that happened. Obviously, we should start with the beginning, right? So we'll start with talking about USMLE step one going to Passville, and the effect over the last year. We've had enough time to make some inferences and anecdotal um, information that we could share with you. 
based on our expertise. And then we'll segue into step two and we'll even touch on step three. So if you're listening right now and you're thinking this episode is not applicable to me because I've already done the USMLE, no, 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 come back, come right back. There is important information that you can benefit today and that you'll be able to share with people that you mentor or you tutor, right? Whatever the case may be. So let's get right into it. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Deshana. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing amazing. Thanks for having me having me on your show today. Thank you. It is my pleasure. Um, and what people don't know is we've worked together both on and offline. You know, you've been on the IMG roadmap multiple times before, but more so in the private setting when we're teaching our students um, on the USMLE module. So today I thought we'll take it public and we'll put out the information that you are adding to people's lives with Smash USMLE, but not even talking about that. Let's just talk about the USMLE in general. Um, and I want to start off asking you this question. You know, most people always wonder if you're an IMG or not. Are you an IMG? Like, tell the people what it is. All right. Thank you so much for having me on the show. So I actually consider myself an immigrant, right? So because I came all the way from Nigeria, uh, came to the United States back in 2004, um, went to college actually in the United States, went to Bloomfield College, graduated summa cum laude with biochemistry and general biology, and ended up going to medical school at an osteopathic school in New Jersey. It used to be called uh, University of Medicine and Dentistry School of Osteopathic Medicine. Now it's called Rowan. So for those of you who may not know that, However, uh, my journey actually, you know, I ended up taking complex and USMLE step one, step two, CK when I was in medical school, uh, matching to emergency medicine. I've been an attending for the last seven years. Uh, so, but my journey actually began when I started to see the development of IMGs who are trying to get into US education system and the struggle. And as an immigrant, I knew the struggle. I had a 2% chance of getting into medical school. And for IMGs, they got about a 60% chance to match it into residence. And I can resonate with the story because a lot of people told me I could never make it into being a doctor in America. And you probably can relate to this, uh, Dr. Ninalun, because the struggle is real for us as immigrants because we don't have almost the same opportunity like other people. So I started meeting thousands of IMGs online through my YouTube channel, getting messages, emails in my inbox, talking about their struggles. And I had started this USMLA company, which has been helping a lot of them. And it, you know, over the years, I start to make a lot of impact in the IMG community. So I consider myself an IMG that never went to an IMG medical school because I'm an immigrant, just like every one of you guys. And I'm super excited to share with you guys some of the secrets and things you should know to make you successful on the USMLE, on your roadmap to matching into US residents. Absolutely. So you took Comlex and USMLE while in medical school. So you took double boards, right? Like those of us that are international medical graduates, whether we're American or non-American, we only do USMLE. And that's a lot like doing USMLE step one, step two. Um, and at the time CS now OET, but you did both Comlex one and two, and then USMLE one and two. So you have like, you know, two times <laughs> USMLE testing experience, uh, or USMLE grade testing experience, I would say. So, you know, I've been reflecting on this and I remember when step one shifted from a score to, to a uh, pass fail. And I remember because I did a video and I was like, you know, you guys, step two is going to become the new normal in terms, in terms of that would become the new threshold. Because in my mind, um, as human beings, especially in a highly competitive and educative data-driven society, that medicine finds itself in, 
we rely on data sets. We rely on what a, what what are the numbers saying? We want objective standards to make conclusions. And that's how we interpret research. That's how we determine what paper has high quality and what doesn't. That's how we make inferences from um, journals or even you know our colleagues who write these journal articles make inferences based on objective standards. And one of the things that I was thinking about was with USMD going to pass-fail, the same mindset that it takes to have when you are filtering through applicants that requires you to utilize a pass exam score as a threshold for picking out a candidate or for a specialty or who qualifies for a certain specialty that has fewer spots, that is that same objective mind that is interpreting data sets from articles, journals, or determining if a study is powerful versus not powerful. So if that same person is used to making inferences based on objective standards, which um, in medicine can read in the form of literature and how we interpret it, is also making decisions about who to interview or who to deem qualified for their program, then they need some kind of objective standard. And so removing that pass-fail or removing that number to pass-fail will shift that objective standard to another thing that has a number. And that was sort of my basis. That, and that was just like, you know, thinking or using trends to predict the future. Um, but what are you seeing as far as step one, moving from a pass-fail to, or from a numeric objective standard to a pass-fail? How is that impacting the landscape right now? Awesome. So uh, let's go back to some data, right? So uh, I put up some data from 2020 test takers that took the USMLE step one. And this is primarily for examinees from non-US medical school or Canadian schools. So, so these are IMGs, right? Uh, and because we focus on IMGs here. And in 2020, right, about, you know, first time test takers, uh, only 87% of IMGs actually passed the US, all right? In 2021, right, 16,000 people or so, 82% uh, of IMGs only passed on their first attempt. Now here's the sad news. For repeaters who actually took step one back in 2021, 2,258, 45% of them passed on their second attempt, which means once they failed the USMLE uh, the first time, only 45% are actually passing it on their second attempt, which means your chances of failing the exam after failing the first time is even much higher. Now, overall, the average out of about 19,210 uh, applicants who actually tested for the USMLE step one, 77% is the passing rate for IMGs. Okay. Now, if you look at step two CK for IMGs, we have about in 2021, like 12,431 students took the exam, 91% passed, which is actually good. However, with the students that failed about 1,300 students, only 62% of them passed, which kind of also getting that repeated. If you fail the test before your chance of actually failing again is much higher. And on average, out of 13,700 people that took the exam, 88%, all right, actually passed, all right? Now, this is alarming because I actually crunched the numbers together and I added all the students that failed step one in 2021 together between step one, step two, CK, and step three, and it's about 6,151 students who have failed. Now, let's put that in perspective. That's 6,000 less doctors that can be in the American healthcare system to help us, and we already have a shortage. This is why the IMG community, this is our biggest challenge, all right? Now, step one, decided, decided to change it because of multiple factors, right? There's too much anxiety uh, about step one. Uh, a lot of students felt burnout. 
Uh, also, a lot of students basically stop going to medical school classes and they were just focused on step one. So there's something called step one mania that developed across all the boards because it becomes, all, you know what, I don't need to know anything about all this other concept they're teaching me in medical school. I just need to get a 260 on step one. And this is what actually drove. So it's, I wanted to refer back to history so we understand how we got here. All right. So because of step one mania, you know, there was a lobby and it say, listen, we need to change something. The healthcare system is broken. If I get a 260, I get into neurosurgery, but I might be an excellent candidate, but the program director is going to take someone who got a 245, 250 before they consider someone who got a 215. Not understanding, like, you're not focusing on, is this person clinically sound? You know, how well is he good with, you know, patient management? right? How can you take a good history and physical exam, bedside manners, things that, you know, you, you have to see in a, in, a, in a candidate that unfortunately you're not going to get to, ex, you know, showcase that while you're looking at an application um, from a student applying to the NRMB. So we decided to change, okay, the USML, the FS, uh, I think it's FSMB, I might be saying it wrong. Uh, they decided to change step one to pass fail to lessen the burden of that mania inside the medical school systems, primarily for US students, but obviously applies to everyone in IMGs. Now, that, that's the good side of it. But like Dr. Nenelum, you alluded, right? Once you change an exam that has a three-digit score, which people use as a barometer to screen applicants out, right? Like for example, my residency program, we did emergency medicine, they had a cutoff number. And if you don't meet the cutoff number, the secretary basically filters your application and puts it into the trash can. Unfortunately, because they get thousands of applicants and you can only interview maybe like 500 or 600. All right. Uh, so now step one decides to go pass fail. And this is a trend that I've noticed right now. The, I, I'm waiting for the official data to come out uh, matches in a, in a few weeks. So we're going to get the NRMP data for 2022. However, over the last year, I've seen an increase in student failing step one. Now, there's another thing you need to understand. The passing score for step one was 194. Now it's 196. However, it doesn't show up on your screen or your or your or your report cap, uh report but it's then that's the new number that they actually set and I actually predicted this when they were actually they usually increase the USMLE um average score you know every few years uh you know and if they see like most students are passing so now that seven is pass fail most students actually fail and actually not just affecting the IMG community it's affecting students in medical schools. And I'm not surprised by that because, I mean, I, you know, when I was in medical school, I knew the pressure. I have to take complex one and USMLE step one. So I'm studying for two boards at the same time. I was stressed. It was a lot for me to handle, you know, but I was determined to take the test anyway because I want to apply to an allopathic residency. Now we have a combined ACGME residency. Back then they were separated. Yeah. Okay. So now most students are actually failing step one because they're lowering their threshold for study. That's the big thing, guys, right? Because now this is the mindset that floats around amongst medical students. I just need to pass step one. I don't need to study hard. So let's yeah. say you were studying the biochemistry section in first aid or you know, uh, your step one book. And uh, you're like, you know what? I probably just don't need to memorize it because even if I get it wrong on the exam, I just need to pass. Now, the downside to that is that you're not learning the length and breadth of the information that you need to understand the basic science knowledge, right? So you're doing yourself a disservice by working, you know, you're working less, like you're not putting the effort. So I always tell my students in my program, I smash USMLE. I want you to presume that you're taking step one as CBI as a score, even though it's a pass fail. Because then, you know, it's like when I was in college, if, if I put in A work, I might get a B plus or I might get a B, but at least I set myself up for success. But you, if you're listening to me right now, I want you to think, I see USMLE has a score because that would drive you to study 
harder, learn all the information, and your chances of success is even much higher. Now, here's the problem. If you don't do that, and I know some of you will not do it, right? You're going to be like, well, I understand, but why do I need to work so hard? Well, step two is the new step one, right? Dr. Nalud alluded, program directors are busy, right? You're, you are not both attendants. We have families. We have work. You know, when you work in academia, you have research, medical students, priorities to work with, clinicals, right? seeing patients, right? There's a lot. You know, you might not understand the pressures that academic attendants have to go through. You have to train residents. You have to train fellows. You have to train medical students. They have to do didactics and teach clinically, right? And also, you know, like, you know, also like we have didactics, you know, every week. So they have a lot of pressure and they have to publish. When it's time for the interview season, I'm telling you guys, they are still going to look at your step two CK score. It's so just, and, and is it fair for the program directors to be doing this? No, but the system is not perfect, unfortunately. So they will still use your step two CK to screen you out because not everybody has passed, right? So let's pick two students, A and B. We're both applying for general surgery. You have a pass on, on step one and you haven't taken your step two CK. And I have a student that passed on step one and got a 229 or let's say 243 on step two CK. Who do you think is going to get an interview? I mean, they're going to look at a student that's taking step two CK who has a higher score because you are not competitive when it comes to just applying with your step one scores only. Okay. Now, for US medical students, it's probably a little going to be easier. This is what US medical students are doing. They'll take step one and get a path. But remember, US students have more you know, priority when it comes to matching because they are working directly with the attendants on their clinical rotation. So they get to know the students. They see your work ethic. They show up. For IMGs, you have to find observerships. You have to have clinical rotation. And sometimes it's only four weeks you do. Uh, some of these students, they're rotating in the same hospital like for the whole year. And so they, they get more advantage than you are. So as an IMG, my best advice for you is study for step one like you are studying for a, a three-digit score and think like you want to still score that two six magically in your brain. Force yourself to do that. That will raise your work ethic to working harder because here's the bad news. So a lot of my students have come back and take step two CK and see Dr. Adesha, and guess what? 60% of the information that I saw in my step two CK was step one material. And now what they all did was the USMLE is seeing the trend. So they just push. And I always tell you guys, when you study for step one, you're learning basic science, but you also have to learn the management. But here's what it is. On step two CK, we're going to ask you what's the first step in management, the next step in management, the best step in the management, what's the most accurate test, what's the first initial test. So, you know, let's say they give you a patient that has osteomyelitis and it had a staph infection because it's, you know, maybe, uh, and then on the board exam on step two CK, they would describe the clinical scenario for you, but they won't tell you the diagnosis and they're going to ask you what's the first initial test or what's the best test. If you don't understand osteomyelitis of infection of staph inside the bone or pseudomonas, let's just say diabetic, guess what? You're not going to know what the first step in management, which is just an x-ray. And the best step in management is an MRI, right? And you're going to see, you know, some periosteal elevation. So this is my best advice for you guys. When you're studying for step two CK, study well for your step one because it makes step two CK easier. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you, you did layer out some really key points that I want every listener to get. You guys, we went through the data first, not to scare you, but to tell you that failure is a possibility. It's not a possibility that we like to talk about, and I'm not here to try to scare you or anything, but because we know that that number or that possibility is quite high for us, especially if we're being filtered out, I would highly recommend your first big step is attempting to score well on your USMLE on your first attempt. That's probably the best single most important thing that you can do. 
just to avoid the bias that comes with filtering or with prior failures or with preconceived notions or whatever the case may be. Um, second most important thing also is leveraging opportunities that you have at your door. So whatever that could be for you, whether you are um, needing time management, because that's one key area when you're preparing for the USMLE, you need proper time management so you can utilize the same 24 hours that you have at the same 24 hours that the person who scores 240 to 60 has. So how is that person utilizing their time? Yes, there are other social factors. Some of us are parents, some of us are caregivers. We have other responsibility, but looking for pockets where you could shave off time to dedicate to this process is so, so, so important. Uh, Dr. Deshana, let's talk a little bit more now about step two, uh, CK. And what we're seeing regarding the focus on step two CK as it comes to residency application. I'll tell you one of the things that I saw was I noticed with the score changes, you know, their past score going up to 214 from a 209 in the last year, I've received more messages from students or graduates who did not successfully complete step two CK and they'll tell me, hey, if this was in the last cycle or with the prior scoring system, I would have at least gotten a pass. And I think a lot of these students are dealing with the idea of now being labeled as someone who did not pass one of the USMLEs. And at that point, they're almost thinking, well, it would have been better if I passed with a low score and not have to have that label of having failed the USMLE than being in this position right now where I didn't meet that 214 requirement. And I've noticed that those messages for me has increased since that change. Um, a lot of people used to do well on step two CK and tend to not, you know, they struggled more with step one, but I'm seeing that shift now where I'm getting more people say, hey, I passed step one because it's pass fail. And I'm getting more, I didn't do well on step two. So I feel like now the bottleneck is on step two CK, but can right. you share from your expertise what you are seeing and what IMGs can do about it? That's a very great question. So. Yes. Remember I told you that step one, uh, which is both basic and clinical sciences, right? So on your step one, you're going to see genetics, you're going to see biochemistry, you're going to see, you know, um, in the behavioral sciences, which is going to be on your step two CK, but here's all those genetic mutations, DNA stuff that you don't like, and I'm going to go away. But remember, once you actually get to a section where you're studying the clinical section, which is what you guys call pathology, right? Uh, the disease processes and cardiologists, MI, arrhythmias, things like that, right? Um, you need to know them very well. And the USMLE wants you to know both basic and clinical sciences at the same time. So the reason why students actually fail in step two CK, and I've been getting a lot of messages also. Okay, I, you know, I'll get my an Instagram message like I feel my step two CK. I don't know why, and I always tell them you have content deficit. So I am just have a uh, what I call an advantage compared to a US students where you can take exams in whatever order you want, and I think that's going away. And people always ask, should I take step two CK first or should I take step one, right? That's another question I think we should address later on because people want to know which order should they take it. And let's say you're an IMG from Pakistan or an IMG from the Caribbean. You know, you guys have to take in the right order, uh, of course, except you've graduated. Uh, now, what you're going to notice is if you go ahead and take step two CK with a weak basic science knowledge, you're going to fail the test. If you go and take step two CK, remember I told you, you cannot diagnose a condition you don't recognize. One of the best advice I got as a resident was from my attending, my, my program director. So we were seeing a patient one day and the guy came in, uh, I believe with this, uh, you know, swelling in the front of his forehead and 
he asked me like, what's the diagnosis? And I was like, you know, what are my differential with pot puffy tumor? And it's like, wow, that's impressive. But one thing he told me is like, Lake, the eyes does not recognize what the mind does not see. I'm going to say that again. The eyes does not recognize what the mind does not see. If you're taking step two CK and you don't understand the disease pathophysiology very well, how are you going to make the diagnosis of that condition, let alone make clinical decisions to treat the condition. Now, a lot of students are overwhelmed by the USMLE, but you and I are both physicians, right? You walk into the room, patient's gonna come in, they're not gonna be like a U-old question that's written in front of their forehead, right? They're just gonna say, doc, I don't feel well. <laughs> you know, grandma's gonna be like, she's not been eating. So although the exam is structured in such a way that it's a clinical vignette where they give you all the data, you still have to know how to interpret the data, right? If the bicarb is low and the pH is high, you, you should understand that's a metabolic acidosis, right? So the challenge is if you still don't understand, you know, basic acid-based uh, acid knowledge of how to interpret blood gases, how are you going to know a patient that came in diabetic ketoacidosis with a blood sugar of 500 with high ketones, beta hydroxybutyrate? They are giving you all the data in front of you, but here's the problem. Your eyes cannot recognize what your mind does not know or see because you lack basic knowledge, which is going to affect your performance in the test. So go ahead. No, absolutely. 100%. Like, you know, you're preaching right now and, I, and I'm getting it because one of the things that I notice people struggle with IMGs or uh, whether US IMGs or non-US IMGs is if you don't have an understanding of the clinical environment, if you don't have experience in the clinical arena, sometimes when you're reading the question stem, you cannot picture what's being asked of you. And this is why it's absolutely important, I think, for step two CK specifically, that at least you've done your core rotations if you're a Caribbean medical student, because you have an idea. When they talk about a 39-year-old male rolls into the emergency room, you have a picture. When they say you're running in the ICU, you have an idea. When they say, you know, you're in the clinic and this 15-year-old female presents from a tennis practice, or you're this, you know, you have an idea. Because part of learning and one of the learning theories is being able to visualize what you are reading and to be able to picture it. That's why movies are very engaging. That's why, um, you know, a good story written out well is very engaging because you can almost picture it. I remember this is completely abstract. I remember when I was a kid, I used to read a lot of books from Europe and the United States, and I could never envision snow because it was just something I did not see. And so I remember reading, I used to, in physics class, they will teach us about, you know, the, um, how the radar works, like the police radar, or they taught us about, you know, driving your car down an interstate. I mean, you're reading a physics textbook written by an American and they're talking about radars. And I had no idea. I could never picture how that worked because our police did not have radars. And yeah. physics was hard because a lot of the examples being used in physics class were examples that were easily understandable by highway systems here, momentum. You can't explain Newton's law talking about the autobahn in Germany. I would not understand it because I don't know what that is. Now, if you translate that into a um, motorcycle or a broke down taxi car, I can get it because as a child, that's my learning theory was able to visualize those things relative to what I was familiar with. Transfer that to USMLE preparation. If you are studying these concepts and you have no idea, no recollection, no mental framework of the clinical setting in which they're describing these things, guess what? You're not going to get it. 
And that's where that concept and that learning deficit can originate from. Now you have other people who are photographic memory and they can remember things based on an image, based on virtual experiences, based on events without having primary firsthand experience. But the easiest way to learn is firsthand experience, visualizing something in person and practicing, which is why they call medicine the act, the practice of medicine. And I think a lot of us are lacking that which adds to our content deficit or our concept deficit, as you describe it. And that's huge for Caribbean students who don't have the opportunity to train in strictly rigorous academic environment. We don't have the opportunity to be, you know, rounding at Massachusetts General where every specialty has a discipline and you can go into the nitty gritty, not even, what are we saying? University of whatever in state you're located in probably has a better academic facility. They have a simulation lab for their students. They rotate with residents who have time to teach. And then you're stuck with an attending in a clinic who is a for-profit organization and is not dedicated to your learning technique or your teaching and your practice. And so you don't have that same content. You're not able to learn medicine in that same framework or that same setting that the person who gets the 260 is able to learn from unless they have a great photographic memory and just good test takers. I can, you're absolutely right on that money. I'm telling you, uh, when I took my MCAT, uh, I didn't do well on the MCAT. Uh, so <laughs> I did poorly actually, because my verbal was horrible. I understand the math. And just to re as an immigrant, so I came here, I took my I took my MCAT back in Nigeria. And I, I remember when a passageway they were describing a Velcro. It was a black Velcro that was sitting on the side of the window. And in my mind, I said, oh, a Velcro has got to be a bird, you know, because they said, you know, it was black, it was soft. And the whole time I read the whole passage that it described this black Velcro by the window, I'm like, well, it's not flying, but I'm just trying to put my own thoughts into it. Like you talk about photographic kind of, and I bombed the whole thing because even I couldn't answer any other questions because I don't have any frame of reference. I come to America and what we call zipper in Nigeria is what they call Velcro here. So I totally can relate to it. Uh, another thing that I think affects IMGs, and this is a good point, is if you didn't grow up in America, uh, another disadvantage we have is that we, if you have a second language, like, so I speak Yoruba, for example. So when I read passages of people are Spanish or Portuguese, they'll translate it back first into their language to understand it and retranslate it back to English. Now, here's the problem with that. Uh, you ended up spending more time on the question that requires 90 seconds which means affects your performance on the test. That's why when people actually come to Smash USMLE, the first thing we talk about is strategy of how to approach a United States medical licensing exam standardized test that requires a certain amount of reasoning and understanding, which we teach you how to even answer the question as fast as possible. You know, the problem is the wrong uh, uh, time is not your enemy on the test. Wrong answers are your enemy. A lot of people think, oh, time. I'm like, no. If you know the concept really well enough, so, we, you know, for example, in our program, uh, I, you know, because I'm a, a clinician, right? I've seen over 10,000 patients over the last decade, right? So I have a lot more advantage. The words that I read on the paper in your textbook are patients that I see and I've written prescriptions for them and actually taking care of those patients. So I have a masterclass, for example, where, you know, you're coming for four, four weeks and all I'm sharing is stories of what happened in the emergency department. And guess what? My student, Dr. 
I can't remember the story of that little girl, grandma, you know, the boy, the uncles, and I'm describing what's happening in the room to them, like you said, because I have that experience that some of them don't have to have as a framework to help them. So that's another factor that really affects our performance on the test. I totally agree. With oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in speaking about, you know, your master class, I would like for you to tell people how they can find it as well. Um, but, it, you know, before we come to that information and speaking about that, I think that enough is not being said about tapping into operating on this whole entire process from your, from your soul. And what I mean by that is we have, because there's so much fear, angst, anxiety, worry associated with the connotation that comes with failure in the medical circle, because that for us can equate to not matching. It can equate to not having a career that we've dreamed of. It can equate to not being able to provide for our families. It can equate to our careers not fleshing out in the time that we plan for it to flesh out. Because there's all these angst associated with this process, we have lost the art of just learning because we want to be good clinician. We have forgotten that what we're learning today would actually position me to be a good doctor for my patient. And that's the process that makes learning enjoyable. And when learning stops being enjoyable, the aftermath is it becomes painful. And if learning is painful because there is fear, angst, doubt associated with it, then it creates a subconscious boundary in our mind that makes for a more difficult process. And so that's why when you're approaching this whole thing, the listener, you guys listening, when you're approaching this whole study process, find ways to make it enjoyable. For me, it translates to connecting back to my soul purpose in life. And by soul, I mean S-O-U-L, which is what is the person that is Nina here for? The person that is Nina is here to be a representation of Christ on earth, right? And for me, in my medical practice, that means the way I talk to my patients, the way I help them, I don't want people to have to come back to the ER three times before we find the problem. I want to be able to identify the person who needs that referral right now so that I can save them time and money and then they can get to their answer sooner, right? And to me, that's a life fulfilled because then I'm helping people get out of misery and pain and sickness. So as a medical student, one of the things I started doing was because I did so poorly on step one and I had to do better on step two, I had to start approaching it as when I learn this case presentation or when I read this question, I started thinking of myself like, if this was a real patient, what would I do to help them? Well, okay, that means I don't know about the pathology of, I don't understand the pathology of like the difference between an infarction versus um, uh, ischemia. And then I started to remember, okay, if someone has an infarction, that means the whole tissue is dead. It's dead from the wall to wall. Both walls are dead. Ischemia, there's just a little bit of compromise, but they're not, it's not completely dead. And so then you start to make a distinction when you're reading that question, you realize this question is about ischemia, not infarction, because that's how the USMLE gets you. They get you on those little things. Is it a transmural infarction or is it an ischemia? So bad. Right? So, 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 so it, it's those little things. But until I started to think about the person having an MI is going to die. The person have ischemia may not die. They may not die now, but they may die later if I don't stop it from becoming an infarction. And then you start to find passion. I remember, and there are different, there are so many resources and, and your smashing assembly is one of them. But I remember watching this video resource and this teacher was so engaging, right? Conrad Fisher, is, I, that's his name, if I remember him right. He was so engaging in the way that he taught. I didn't know about you then. I don't know if you had started your program then. 
and um, people like that and people like yourself who make learning engaging are very important for the IMG who doesn't have that frame of reference. Because until you're able to sit down and I remember sitting down and watching these videos and I'll be like, wow, I just enjoy the way this person em em like embodies medicine. It makes learning engaging. That was the difference for me from going to an 89th percentile to a 99th percentile. And I know I went off tangent, you guys, so just bear with me. Um, what I'm trying to share with you today is you have to get back to that place where you can pinpoint your passion for medicine, where you can pinpoint why you're doing what you're doing. So that when you're studying for the USMLE, it's just not, I'm here to check off boxes. It's about, I'm here to become a great physician. And I'm not going to be the best physician in the world because there's people that's going to graduate from Harvard who are going to do that for you. But I'm going to be the best physician I can be for the patients that I will reach in the location that I am going to eventually end up in. And that process can really change your approach to this whole thing. It can make learning enjoyable. It can make studying for USMLE step one, step two, step three more passionate than what it is. You know, you, you hit the nail so perfectly in the head. So when people come to me, they say, Dr. Adish, you know, um, you know I'm I need help with step one or step two. And I said, okay, guys, let me be Oh, honest. do tell us about the master class too, before I forget. Yeah. I will. So I said, we are not a USMLE company. And people are always like, what do you mean? You guys help us prepare. I said, I'm training you to become a better doctor. You see, you said, what's your goal? What's your passion? What's your why? Why did you do this in the first? Sometimes we get lost into the forest while we're walking through the trees in the jungle. And I think that's what we get overwhelmed. But if you go back and that's if you step back with an aerial view, you say, why am I learning this information? And I know it's hard as a medical student, it's hard as an IMG when you're transitioning to try to get your licensing exams. But I promise you, I tell all my students in Smash USML, I said, guys, one day, what's going to separate somebody from dying or becoming severely disabled is going to be what's in your head. And you sometimes have milliseconds and minutes to act. And what you do at that point in time determines the course of that person's life. And now the person sitting in front of you, somebody's dad, somebody's mom, who's a breadwinner for their family. Maybe this, the husband, who's a, a wife, is working, is, is at home taking care of the kids. And he's the only one you know, driving Uber around town. If something happens to him, these kids are not going to have their dad just walk them to the aisle. And sometimes we forget that in medicine. You know, so I, I've been at ER for seven years as an attendant. It's my eighth year now. And my, my, my nurses said, Dr. Adishina, you're too nice. Like, you know, why do you go above and beyond for this patient? I said, because that's the exact care I want you to give my family when they come to this door. And sometimes you don't feel like it. Like your patient will come in and I'll give them a free dental clinic referral because they don't have insurance. I'll give them a, 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 the good RX card. I'll print it out for them so that it can save money on amoxicillin that's only $4 because they didn't fill that prescription last time we gave them for clindamycin because it was too expensive. So, you know, these are the small little things you have to know that when you become a doctor someday, you become that resource. And these people will come to you, they're vulnerable. They put your bodies in front of you and say, doctor, help me. Now, remember, your eyes will not recognize what your mind does not see. And what my goal and my team is to fill your mind with the right information. I've seen good doctors and bad doctors, and it's real. It's out there. I see patients come to the ER, and I'm like, who put this plate on you? <laughs> you know, I just had a patient came to the ER a little a few days ago. My last shift, actually, like two nights ago. He had a community distal radius fracture that's angulated 
went to urgent care. They gave him a shot of Toradol and they put this dorsal splint, wrapped it hazardly and sent him out with Tramadol. The guy's in so much pain. He walks in, he's screaming. And I said, sent you home. That's not the right disposition. I had to do a conscientization using propofol, a ketamine, knock him out, reset the bone, put him in a, on a, a sugar tongue splint. He's like, I feel so much better. But then I noticed he has compartment syndrome on his wrist from the fracture. Now, guys, you might say, oh my gosh, you know, that's obvious after I've told you that. But the truth of the matter is, if you don't know what compartment syndrome, and you thought that was a step two concept, or a step three concept, mm -hmm. yeah. somebody sent a patient home that has compartment syndrome, right? And you are going to be in that situation one day. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. You're going to miss stuff. But I want you to be a good physician. And that's what I'm trying. We, we are trying to teach you here on this podcast. Like the whole point of this whole process of getting your license is not just checking boxes and passing a bunch of tests, right? Any monkey can do that. Yeah. But yep. we want you to be a great physician. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the masterclass. So, you know, so we have a self-based review course at Smash USMLE. We have a full Q bank for USMLE over 2,000 questions for step one, step two, CK. We have uh, self-paced lectures. But however, what my team and I decided to do over the last four years, uh, this is our fourth year, is I just have to create a masterclass. And the masterclass is basically how can I put together all, you know, 80 to 90% of the concepts you need to see in step one and step two, CK and step three uh, in a Q&A format, in clinical integration format and explain to you the concept. So in four weeks, I go over these concepts with you. It is the bomb. I'm telling you guys, like every soon I come to my masterclass, like Dr. Adishina, I only watch your masterclass and I pass the exam. I just, you know, watch, you know, after I attend the course, I watch it over and over. I went and take, take the uh, question bank, you know, and all the strategies that we teach you and we give you private one-on-one -on -one coaching. I mean, my students are like literally fun and talking about why didn't they teach me this information in med school? But I always tell them, I said, remember the person that taught you med school might be a PhD. He doesn't see patient, right? So you can't fault him for that. And some of them, you know, like, you know, maybe they don't know how to teach very well. It's not their fault, right? Maybe that, that's that style of teaching. I say, you get a physician, which is very rare to see someone who's practicing medicine and going back to teach you step one biochemistry concept. Like, you know, going back to teach you all the pathology and pathophysiology and physiology of medicine. But that's my passion. I love to teach. I like to explain concept to you guys. But more importantly, it's dumb it down to the level of a fifth grader. And I tell my students, if you don't, if a fifth grader doesn't understand the concept, then you don't, you don't get it, right? So the masterclass is four weeks for step one, for step two CK is five weeks, and we're gonna cover all the high yield concepts so that you can be confident. And not only that, so we, we use a framework, like we just don't, you know, a lot of people are like, yo, I just want to watch videos. We use something called a smart MD framework. S is we're gonna teach you the strategies first. We talked about some of the issues we have because if you don't understand the test, why are you trying to memorize a question back? <laughs> you know, uh, people would tell you just memorize first and go to your world. Uh, it only works for students who went to medical school in the United States. IMGs, you got a lot more work to do than that. All right. So you have to be realistic. Uh, and we teach you the master of the clinical knowledge with a four week master class. We give you a question bag with quizzes and then we give you flashcards. And finally, it's more important to know how to prepare for the test day. On the exam day, you're going to have anxiety. Trust me, it's real. You've studied for this exam for months and months and months. And finally, this is the one shot you've got. Eight hours to sit down. You need to know what to do, how to prepare, what to eat. You know, like your mindset. Like you're always talking your IMG roadmap program. It's your mindset. So we prepare your mindset to know what you're going to see from the beginning to the end. What should I do if I freak out on the test? What should I do if I don't do well on one block? Like you don't think about these things. But on the exam day, time management how to answer question appropriately. You know, there's all the things we're going to teach you in the program. So, you know, if you're interested, 
Uh, we're going to put the link in the podcast or you can go to smashusmle.com slash enroll. Uh, that's it, smashusmle.com slash the word enroll, E-N-R-O-L-L. And you can sign up for the program. You see a lot of testimonials of some of us, all of our students. And I can't wait to help you on this journey. Remember, you're the hero and we're just the guide. And we're here to train you to become the best doctor you can possibly be so we can train better physicians, our healthcare system, and save our community. Absolutely. And we'll have all this information, guys, in the show notes today. Um, you'll be able to one click to get over there and start working on this. Even if you've already done one part of the USMLE, you have an opportunity as well. Um, I will happily share that I'm also an affiliate of Dr. Adishina's program. So I'll have my code and everything down below. If you choose to move forward with it, you'll be able to sign up through that as well. Um, you guys, I want for you to remember one thing. I know we've said so many different things today. Um, we've touched on USMLE step one, step two, and even that information is applicable for USMLE step three as well. Um, but I just want you to remember one thing. You are not wrong for ever having the desire to be a physician. And so even if you are experiencing challenges along the way, difficulties with exams, remember why you started. And remember that your dreams are equally valid, just like everybody else. You deserve to be the physician that you want to be for your community, for your family, and for whatever reason that you chose to go on this journey in the first place. Some of you maybe moved to the United States, not out of will, but to support your family or to be reunited with your family. Some of you won the lottery. Some of you made the decision. Some of you, this is home. And you have the right to come back home and get what you desire. So don't ever feel like you are on the lower end of the spectrum on this journey. Yes, you will encounter challenges. Everybody does. But remember, what did Dr. Deshana say? You can't see what you don't know, right? You can only find what you know. If you're looking for something and you don't know what you're looking for, you're not going to find it. So work on your content, work on understanding concepts in medicine, and be reconnected with why you started in the first place. So that, that can make your journey much more enjoyable, much more pleasurable. And USMLE doesn't have to always feel like a drag. It really doesn't have to be that way. But with the anxiety, and we'll have a whole separate episode on, on uh, test-taking anxiety. That's a whole different topic. And um, we're going to break down those strategies. So you better stay tuned. You better review this podcast. And Dr. Desh and I can't wait to see you inside the AMG Roadmap program as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. I appreciate you. All right. Look at you. I'm so proud of you for listening until the very end. And because of that, you deserve a reward. And I want you to go right now to drninaloom.com and download any of my free ebooks, whether it's for electives or clinical rotations, or even just whatever trials come your way as you navigate your IMG journey. Stay tuned for another episode coming up next.